From dingy sports halls to sellout arenas, there's nothing quite like the anticipation of a local fighter putting it all on the line. One of the main reasons we love MMA is the constant feeling that anything could happen. But it's that same unpredictability that can make the sport such a cruel mistress, as our heroes so often miss out on their storybook endings. On the flip side, it's that little bit sweeter when things do go according to plan and send the crowd home happy. With that in mind, I'm Bailey and from MMA On Point, and here are 10 times the hometown hero actually won. Number 10, Cyril Garn versus Tai Tuivasa, UFC Paris. Of course, where better to start than the very fight that inspired this list? Listen, everybody loves a heavyweight scrap, and in 2022, there haven't been many bigger than the Parisian powerhouse Cyril Garn vs. KO King Tai Tuivasa. It may not have been as wild as Mark Hunt vs. Bigfoot Silver, or had the stakes as high as Fedor vs. Krokop, but the main event of UFC Paris will go down in history as a landmark moment for European MMA. All eyes are on the French super prospect Garn as he looked to bounce back from an agonizing first career defeat at the hands of Francis Ngannou, as if that wasn't enough pressure, he'd be headlining the first ever UFC event in his home nation. Just two years ago, this entire scenario would have been unthinkable. Political pressure, particularly from the French Judo Association, had led to a 15-year MMA broadcasting embargo before competition was just banned outright in 2016. With those restrictions lifted and with a ridiculously fun undercard in the books, it was all down to Bon Gamin to close the show and send the Paris crowd home happy. In a sport that so rarely provides fairy tale endings, Garn vs. Tuivasa couldn't have gone any better had it been scripted. The Frenchman looked like a million dollars in the cage, while the vociferous Parisian supporters filled the Ecor Arena with a rousing rendition of the French national anthem as their boy picked apart the unpredictable Aussie slugger Tuivasa. A brutal third round flurry left Bam Bam looking at the lights, the crowd in raptures, and Cyril Garn's status as the hometown hero set in stone. Number 9. Conor McGregor versus Diego Brandao, UFC Dublin. When people say, you had to be there, they're talking about events just like UFC Fight Night 46, or as it's more commonly known to the 9,500 fans that were actually in attendance, and the 900,000 who claim they were, UFC Dublin. While it was neither the first nor last UFC event to take place in the city, July 19th, 2014 will be remembered as the start of an Irish MMA revolution and the night the sport's biggest star was born. Conor McGregor, the apprentice plumber from Crumlin, had already established a cult following, peddling his particular brand of stylized violence in Cage Warriors before notching up a pair of impressive wins in the world's ultimate proving ground, all of which kind of paled in comparison to what would take place on that hot summer's night in Dublin's O2 Arena. With Sinead O'Connor and the Chieftain's foggy Jew giving way to Biggie's notorious as McGregor sauntered to the cage, the roof coming off began to feel a lot less like a metaphor and more like an actual distinct possibility. The fight itself was a demolition job. Brandau was a scrapper, tough as they come, but with McGregor channeling the raucous energy of the crowd into a truly clinical beatdown, it felt like any mortal man in his place would have suffered a similar fate. With his Irish brethren on the undercard compiling a clean slate of victories, McGregor's post-fight recital of the often-memed we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. It honestly never felt more poignant. Number 8, Jose Aldo versus Chad Mendez, UFC 142. The personification of started from the bottom, now we're here. How about a skinny kid from the favelas of Manaus, Brazil, Jose Aldo? He left home for Rio de Janeiro at 17 with just the clothes on his back and a dream in his heart. Little did he know that one day he'd return to his adopted hometown, 
as the king. Fast forward a few years and the man now dubbed Scarface, not so much as a nod to Tony Montana as the actual scar on his face from being dropped on a barbecue, had scratched and clawed his way from the murky depths of the regionals to the dizzy heights of world extreme cage fighting and the UFC. I mean, the faith in Aldo was so strong, he was straight up just given the first ever UFC featherweight title when they absorbed the WEC. With two title defenses under his belt, Uncle Dana decided to throw him a ball and let him run with it at UFC 142. It was actually only the second time the Octagon had visited Brazil since Dana, Lorenzo and co had taken charge of the company and was actually the first time anyone less than 155 pounds had headlined a UFC pay-per-view. The Brazilians smashed it. They pulled off a clean sweep on the main card. Then backed by a 10,000 strong crowd at a fever pitch, Aldo stepped through the curtain to face the challenge of Chad Mendes and just like at the end of an M. Night Shyamalan film, you got the sense that things were about to go very right or very wrong. Thankfully for all involved, 142 would go down in history as Jose's breakout performance. After already adding to his impressive highlight reel by detonating a trademark knee on Mendez's jaw, he vaulted the cage wall and was swallowed by the surging masses at cageside. Then, now, and forever, the King of Rio. Number 7. GSP vs Matt Serra 2 UFC 83 Among the first of a new breed of fighter combining a perfectly blended skill set with the physical attributes of an elite athlete and buckets of charisma, GSP ran through a murderer's row of welterweights en route to his first UFC title, and the rest, as they say, is history. Except it, uh, it wasn't. So back in 2006, the Ultimate Fighter reality show was still a huge deal in the midst of the reality TV boom, drawing successful ratings and making household names of those who took part. Off the back of its most successful season to date, the UFC looked to mix things up for season four, inviting some established veterans back into the fold for a second shot at glory with an unprecedented and somewhat unbelievable immediate title fight for the winners. And if the former lightweight Matt Serra winning the welterweight bracket was a surprise, the fact that he went on to defend Feet St. Pierre for the gold sent June sandworm-like shockwaves through the entire industry. The UFC still had its eggs in the French-Canadian's basket though. With Sarah out injured and St. Pierre crowned interim champion, the promotion went all in on Rush's redemption arc. Two years after Sarah turned the division on its head, the promotion set up shop in Canada for the very first time in its home province of Quebec, no less. Thankfully, the gambit paid off. While the fight itself was a dramaless one-sided schlacking, St. Pierre's victory that night cemented his status as Nicholas Cage, a national treasure. And it led to an arguably unsurpassed run drawing some of the biggest gates in UFC history. Number 6. Sakuraba vs Henzo Gracie Pride 10 there was a time during the formative years of MMA where referring to yourself as the Gracie Hunter might have been considered the quickest route to the emergency room. The talismanic Hoist had won three of the first four UFCs, while the mythical family champion Hickson won the Valet Tudo Japan tournament. Twice. Basically, you didn't fuck with the Gracies. Unfortunately for MMA's first family, nobody explained the rules to a young man from a small town of Showa named Sakuraba Kazushi. Firmly established as one of Pride's main draws due to his proclivity for incorporating pro wrestling techniques into his fights, it wasn't long before Sakuraba came face to face with the Gracie clan. Not only did he come face to face with the Gracies, Saku beat them at their own game. After handing the family their first professional loss in decades at Pride 8 against Hoyler and a legendary 90 minute battle with Hoyle at the 2000 Grand Prix, the Gracie Hunter was penciled in to race Henzo in the main event of Pride 10. In one of the most mind-blowing instances of history repeating itself, Sakuraba snapped Henzo's arm with the same hold legendary judoka Masihiko Kimura had used to gruesomely dispatch of Helio Gracie almost 50 years earlier. If beating Hoist on home soil had made him a hero, using the Kimura to defeat Henzo in Saitama, it made him a legend. 
Number 5. Fedor Emelianenko versus Tim Johnson, Bellator 269 Speaking of pride legends, they don't come much bigger than Fedor Emelianenko, considered by many to be the best heavyweight of all time, and the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter on the planet at the peak of his success. Fedor's only crime was having his best years just before MMA truly vibed with the mainstream audience. The peak came in the mid-noughties. Emelianenko was one of the highest-paid athletes in the sport, making millions in purses and endorsements in Japan before eventually being tempted to the US by the mighty coffers of affliction and strike force. As a result, Stary Oskol's favourite son never got to compete on home turf in his prime, only returning to Russia for a handful of low-key bouts during a period of semi-retirement, with his best days firmly in the rearview mirror. Just like every good MMA retirement though, Fedor continued to fight roughly once per year, eventually signing with Bellator for one last run. Scott Coker's promotion did what pride and the UFC couldn't, booking the last Emperor's quote-unquote retirement at the huge VTB arena in Moscow. Never one to avoid a cliche, Coca pulled lumbering American slugger Timothy Johnson as Fedor's opponent in order to give the event something of a Rocky IV Cold War vibe. Sadly, with no Apollo Creed to avenge, Johnson was unable to channel the spirit of the Italian stallion and Fedor rolled back the years to score a picture-perfect KO in less than two minutes in the very first round. Nostrovia. Number 4. Stipe Miocic vs Alistair Overeem, UFC 203 Be it kickboxing, boxing or MMA, there's always something special about a heavyweight title fight. The big lads might not be as technical as the lightweights or have the infinite gas tank of your average 125er, but watching two guys who look like they could be living at the top of a beanstalk punch each other's heads in for the title of baddest man on the planet, it's just good wholesome fun. Two men who fit that bill more than most are Dutch demolition man Alistair Overeem, a guy who has muscles in places most people don't even and have places, and Stipe Miocic, the record holder for the most wins in heavyweight title fights. It's not often that the UFC take an event to Cleveland, Ohio, and by not often we mean it's literally only happened once, but with a hometown hero Miocic having won his first heavyweight title in enemy territory, it seemed only fair that his first defense would be closer to home. A true man of the people, Miocic has served his home state as a full-time firefighter throughout his career, and the Ohio faithful turned out in droves to cheer their boy on against a human he-man Overeem. After a nail Fighting back and forth few minutes that saw him in trouble, Miocic secured a takedown, put his foot on the gas, and eventually rendered the Dutchman unconscious with a series of four piston-like right hands. The crowd rejoiced with chants of Stipe, Stipe, filling the arena. But deep down inside, they all knew that Stipe tapped, and Alistair felt it. I'm just kidding. Uh, number three. Ian Freeman vs Frank Mir, UFC 38 UFC 38 brawl in the hall saw the world-famous Octagon cross the Atlantic for the very first time, largely based on DVD and VHS sales. Um, ask your parents if you don't know. And the emergence of a handful of homegrown talents who'd begin to make names for themselves also seemed to help. With just seven fights on the bill at the iconic Royal Albert Hall, the event was to be headlined by MMA legends Matt Hughes and Carlos Newton in a rematch of their controversial UFC 34 title fight. As big as that fight was, the people's main event though was undoubtedly England's Ian Freeman versus future two-time heavyweight champion Frank Mir. Freeman was a bruising heavyweight from up at northeast of England and was the UK's biggest success story at the time, having notched up victories everywhere from the US to Japan. Having him on the card was a no-brainer, but there was a little trepidation when Mir, who was being groomed as the UFC's next heavyweight star, was announced as his opponent. The fight almost didn't happen. Mere days out from the event, Freeman's father Billy had been diagnosed with brain cancer and given just two 
weeks to live. But at his family's behest, he went ahead with the bout, gritting through a tight ankle lock to grind Mir into a fine paste with a series of heavy elbows and punches. It was arguably the biggest win of any British fighter's MMA career at that point. But there was one more tragic twist in the tale. Unbeknownst to Freeman, as he dedicated the fight to his father, Billy, he had passed away the night before. His dying wish being that his family wouldn't inform Ian until after the fight. His victory would be a fitting, if heartbreaking tribute. Number two, Weili Zhang versus Jessica Andrade, UFC Fight Night 157. China is a huge market for combat sports, given its rich history with the martial arts. And after a few years of economic growth, it was no surprise to see the UFC attempt to make a mark on the territory towards the end of the last decade. All they were really lacking was a homegrown star. Despite the likes of Song Yudong and Li Jingliang emerging victorious during the promotion's first two trips to the mainland, the UFC was still on the lookout for someone who could lead the charge. In in the same vein of Bisping in the UK or George St. Pierre in Canada. The solution came in the somewhat unlikely form, though, of Wei Li Zhang. Zhang had won on the undercard of Fight Night 141 in Beijing. She steamrolled Jessica Aguilar in less than four minutes, still just three fights into a UFC career and relatively unknown compared to champion Andrade. Her subsequent title shot was seen as a cynical attempt to shoehorn a local athlete into a Fight Night main event. Cynics be damned, I say. Zhang went on to shock the world, splattering Andrade all over the octagon with a relentless stream of knees and punches in less than just a minute. Not only had Magnum won in dramatic fashion, she'd become the first ever UFC Chinese champion. The win turned Zhang into an overnight sensation both in China and in the wider world of MMA. Local broadcaster PPTV had just paid $7 million to acquire annual broadcast rights in the UFC, netting an incredible $57.5 million in revenue as the nation tuned in to watch their newest hometown hero. Number one, Mike Bisping vs Dan Henderson 2, UFC Manchester. For the majority of his MMA career, DJ Mikey B walked the fine line between hometown hero and pantomime villain. Still, love him or hate him, just like that last biscuit in the tin, British MMA fans could never say no to the prospect of a Michael Bisping fight. For years, it seemed like the count was destined to be the UFC's nearly man, never quite being able to clear that final hurdle to a title shot. In 2015, though, his luck would finally change as a late career resurgence saw Bisping topple former champion Anderson Silva in London before shocking the world to beat an old foe Luke Rockhold for the title on just two weeks' notice. The Michael Bisping revenge tour was far from over, though. The Count had endured a number of losses over the years, but none that hung over him like the black cloud of his infamous knockout loss to Dan Henderson at UFC 100. With the seemingly ageless Hendo coming off a highlight reel KO of Hector Lombard on the undercard of Bisping's title win, Destiny had thrown the pair together once more, and where better to settle the score than in the champion's hometown? On October 8, 2016, 16,000 fans packed into the Manchester Arena at 3am to watch the local boy Dungood defend his title. Bisping had to endure the challenger's H-bomb right hand on more than one occasion, but the champ dug deep and channeled the passion of the Mancunian crowd to gut out a decision victory after 25 nail-biting minutes. It may have been his last fight on home soil and his last professional victory, but after a nine-year UFC career, Bisping's title defense in Manchester will go down as one of the greatest hometown wins in UFC history. I bet you thought this script was really good. Well, that's because I didn't write it. It was none other than the legend Mr. Brad Wharton. You can catch him commentating at Cage Warriors events or on Twitter at MMABrad48. Ta very much, Brad. Of course, we've got our very own homegrown hero right here at MMA on Point. None other than Mr. Ben Rosette. Thanks for the music in the intro, Ben. Always appreciate that, mate, with your guitar noodling nonsense. Anyway, if you want to see more of his stuff, you can check him out on Twitter or on Spotify at Ben Rosette.
Listen, my hometown's Essex, so we've not really got many heroes. I guess Russell Brand, if you want to count that. Oh, Jamie Oliver. He's a legend. Anyway, who's your hometown hero? Maybe there's someone from MMA. That would make more sense. Why don't you go and let us know in a comment down below? Hope we made you smile a couple of times today. If we did, give us a like and a thumbs up. Always appreciate it. And if you want to see more from us, go ahead and subscribe. We do three videos every single week. All right, that was me, Balian. You can find me at Balian underscore plays on Twitter or Balian on Instagram, or I'm on Twitch as well. But there we go. See you next time, guys. Oosh.